0: Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Jordana Osman, Here with my friend, i Ann Gordon. Our daf today, Masachat Sota, daf Lamed Gimel, page 33. So we're in the middle of discussing what things need to be done in Hebrew uh, and what things can be done not in Hebrew. And this is all based on the previous Mishnah that we had. Uh, I want to read this one section that discusses uh, specifically the issue of Betzfilah. Uh, if you remember, the Mishnah said that the Amidah prayer, right, the Shimon Esri, can basically be said in any language. Tefillah, right, the Gemara tells us here, kol Right, the reason why it can be said in any language is because when we say it, it's it's a request for mercy, and therefore you can pray any way you want. And then the Gemara is going to question this exact premise, Can it really be said in any language? Va didn't Raby Huda say, Leolam, Ali Shaladam Sarha Bilashon Aramid. To Ammar Rabbi Yochanan, Kola Shool Sarcha Bil Shon Arami, Aimala Khayasharait Nis Kakinlo, Lefisha Ain Malachinasharay Makimir Bila Shon Arami. And the w- basis of this question is a fascinating statement uh, that Reb Yehuda says that's uh basically says that a person can never pray in Aramaic. Uh and the reason for this is because of a statement that Rabbi Yochana made which said that anyone who prays in Aramaic, uh, his needs won't be met because the angels, right, the Malachi Asharit, don't understand Aramaic. And therefore, it's not a language that one should pray in. Now, what the commentators explained here is this statement could be used to say that the only language you cannot pray in is Aramaic, right? That Maybe what Rabbi Yochanan's statement is, is that the only language the Malachi Asharit do not understand is Aramaic because Aramaic is sort of viewed as like a corrupted form of Hebrew or based on the statement of Rabbi Yochanan, the point is, is that anything outside of Hebrew, right? uh, You know, is, is not allowed to be used for prayer. What I'm more taken by is that, you know, I think we often think of prayer as sort of a direct conversation with God. And here there seems to be that there's like an intermediary at play, right? That somehow the Malachi HaSharet are involved with our prayer, and i that's not a concept that I've seen before. And again, because of the p- pace of Dafiomi, we won't necessarily have time to really explore it. But I really just want all of us learners to take note of this, that this is really a very different type of conceptual idea of prayer, which is one that's saying that somehow we need the angels, the Malachia Asheret, to help our prayers be accepted. So the Gemara goes on to say, lo kasha habayachid habitzibor. Right, this isn't a difficulty between our Mishnah saying that one can pray in any language, and the statement of Rabbi Yochanan. Rabbi Yochanan is referring to the prayer of an individual, and our Mishnah is referring to the prayer, communal prayer. Now, again, this is a little bit counterintuitive. One would think that when you pray individually, you should do it in any way you want, express it in any way you want. But in fact, we're being told the opposite, that when you pray as an individual, you don't have sort of the masses, the seaboard, the public, to make sure your prayer is also accepted, and that's why you must say it in Hebrew, whereas when you're praying in a group, you could say it in any language because it's sort of like the tefillah is more likely to be accepted because the group is saying it together. And then the Gemara has another question. So they're going to say, wait, we just used the statement of Rabbi Yochanan that said that the angels don't understand Aramaic, but we're going to give you two proofs actually that we, maybe the angels do understand Aramaic. And they quote a Brisa here that uh, is going to mention two uh, historical events. We learned in a Brisa. Right, so in the time of Yohanan the Kohen Gadol, now it's a lot of question who that is. Uh, but he was a Kohen Gadol during the period of the Chashmonayim. Remember, the Chashmonayim were Kohanim, uh, who specifically fought against the Greeks. Uh, and uh, this is is specifically about a war that took place between some of the Kohanim, Anyum Kippur, and the Greeks. And during that time, there was, when he entered the Kaddish Kedoshim, there was, he heard a bat call that came out and said that the youth who went to wage War in Ant in, in Antiochia uh, have been victorious. Okay, and then it goes on to give us another story. Veshuv maaseh veshemunat There was a story with Shemunat We've talked about Shemunat before. Remember, he's mentioned in the second uh, uh, second Mishnah of. Perak Aleph, uh, Perke Avot. He's from the remnant of Ancheik Knesset Agdola. He's generally considered to be the best Kohain Gadol of the Second Temple Period. He uh, was the Kohen Gadol for 40 years, and there were many miracles that took place specifically when he was the Kohain. He also is the one who, uh, there's that story about that he met Alexander the Great. And again, it says, that he heard a Ba'kal from the Kaddish Kadoshim. Shekhu Mer so he heard this all that said the decree that the enemy wanted to bring against the temple temple was 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 uh nullified right and and Galas, right who's Caligula uh was killed and his degrees have been voided. And then, interestingly, it says, they wrote down the hour that he heard this bat kol, and they were able to confirm that actually the time that that bat kol came out is when Caligula was actually killed. But the point here is, is that in these two cases, the bat kol actually spoke in Aramaic. That's how this story is recorded. So the point here is, well, if a bat kol, which is another type of heavenly voice, can speak in Aramaic. You're going to tell me the Malachim Shari don't speak Aramaic. So what Rabbi Yochanan said doesn't seem to make make sense. And then we should be able to pray in Aramaic. So the Gemara is going to give an explanation for this. Eibay, same. If you want to say bat kol shani, a bat kol is different. And we've talked before about what exactly a bat kol is. And here the Gemara tells us explicitly what a bat kol is. avida. Right. Its purpose, its point is to communicate something. So since its point is to communicate something, and we've talked about this before, that we tend to see a Batkol in stories where the Batkol comes to share something that is not observable to humans as they experience the world. You would need to know, right, only something that is in Shammai, right? Only God would know what the truth actually is, what was actually going on in the world, and you need the Batkol to come and explain what it is that, that humans are actually experiencing, because what they're experiencing could not be understood the way that we normally perceive the world. And so the point here is, is that since that's the case, then of course the backhole is going to speak in a way that humans will understand it. The other explanation is, is eima, Gabriel have that maybe we say specifically that it was Gabriel, right? And why Gabriel? Later on in the Gemara, and Sota specifically, on uh, uh, I, I believe it's Lamed Hay, on, on page 35, it's going to tell us that Gavriel actually taught Yosef all 70 languages. This would include Aramaic. Um, and uh, so Gavriel maybe was the Batkol because Gavriel is a specific malach, a specific angel who knows Aramaic, but the rest of them don't actually know. Very, very interesting uh, passage here. Uh, this is all they have to comment on the tefillah. But again, I was very taken by this idea that somehow the Malachayah Shareed have something to do with our prayer. That the fact that we would pray in a language that the Malachayah Shareed do not know means that somehow our actual prayers would not reach where they needed to go.
1: I think this question of what the angels are doing being the recipients, or if not the recipients, then at least, you know, available to hear our prayers is both fascinating, a little concerning, right? It needs unpacking for sure, because if we say that, you know, we all, as a as kind of a cardinal rule of Judaism, that any one person can have a direct line to God, you know, just go pray, and there you go, you've got your direct line to God. To say that the prayers need to be heard also by the angels is like it's an, it opens a can of worms theologically. Um, I think it's, you know, an easy out is to say, well, there's different opinions and some would say a direct line to God and some would say that the angels need to be there or that they benefit from being there, whatever. Um, to say that the angels can be there. I mean, you know, again, do we want that to feel like an invasion of privacy? It it kind of does. Um, I, I think, we're going to have to table this discussion because obviously we have to move on, but I think it's fascinating. Okay, speaking of moving on, the Gemara does go on to talk about, you know, other cases from that Mishnah, Berkat Amazon, these, you know, these all these items in Hebrew and not in Hebrew. I want to jump to Ahmed um, Bet, where we end up going back to that very long discourse about, or description about the brachot and klalot, the blessings and curses, right? And we were, said, we were told, right, it has to be in Hebrew, and I said, but they're already there. They're in the Torah. You know, it's still a conundrum. So we have here Brachotu The the Gemara asks, how is it that this took place? Yisrael at At that time, when the Jewish people were crossing the the Jordan, or the Israelites, I guess they really were. To, to, so this is what they taught. The sages taught how low they literally said, you know, and it's a verse from Devarim, aren't they beyond the Jordan, right? They're on the other side. So what happens then is, right, this means that the Jewish people are, in, or the Israelites, I want to say, are in Transjordan, right? That's where Grizim and Eval are supposed to be, right? And then the question is, you know, how are they now going to come to enter the land? What kind of battles are they going to have to fight and so on, right? So the Gemara goes on to say, "Hello, meaning they're on the other side of the Jordan River and, and also further, meaning keep going west, that's where you'll find them. That's Reb Yehuda's position. So then we've got this statement. this is, they're beyond, and it's very picturesque, the way of of HaShemesh, of the sun's rising, right? Meaning this is going to be towards the east. Right, which is, again, that's the direction of Me'ever that on the other side of the Jordan River, Makom This is the direction where the sun actually rises. Um, so, okay, right, we understand that this is the general location of where they are to get these brachot and klalot. Then the Gemar goes on. Be'eretz HaKanani Hayoshev meaning that they're in the lands of those Kanani, the Canaanites, who lived over there in the Arava. What does that mean, Arava? Elohagrizim Vahareval. This is these two mountains that we keep talking about. Shioshvim Bahem Kutiim. We know that there were Kutim, and we've discussed the definitions of Kutim, right? Who kind of are in this kind of heresy zone in what they reject of the Torah of the oral traditions and so on, right? So they um, they live over there now. Like over there on Ba Yardain near the Hurrize and Harival, Mulha Gilgal and we've got this direct line that they are you know against or uh, in opposition to opposition to the Gilgal Samuhhul Gilgal is near the Gilgal um Gilgal being the name of a place Etsul Ilonimare and also they're over there near Ilon Ilonimare which is again the name of a place, and we know that that is really talking about Shechem, That phrase, "Olahalenuomer viavur Avram beEretz ad makom Shchem So again, we have this, you know, the, the would go as far as to get to Shechem. afkan We understand that this is the place that we're talking about. Okay, the Gemara goes on. Tanya Mariblaza Rabbi Yosi ziyafti kutiim. So Rabbi says that I have proven that all of these books of the Kutim, they're just falsehood. How so? He says, you forged the Torah. You added things. You don't gain anything from it, right? Meaning you haven't done a good job, basically. You say that, you say that, we also say, meaning what's the big deal that you've rewritten this quote unquote to be your holy book when you're just including all the same things that we already had. So this is, we understand from the process of G'zei shava, meaning that, that process by which we compare text and take details from one site to infer them or apply them to the other site, is how do you get you know, if you don't use the Gzereshavah because you, kutim, don't have the rabbinic traditions, the Pharisaic traditions of all these powers of interpretation, how are you going to use the fact that Elonei Moreh is over there by Shem? Like, how do, how do you learn it? So, meaning, you, how did you even figure it out? Amar, hello, Hema So Reb Lizar says, aren't they beyond the Jordan? Meaning... Now, so this is really, Elizabeth is going to now disagree with Rabbi Huda. Rabbi Huda's statement was quite a bit earlier, right? So I can't be sure to what extent this is supposed to be, this, this argument against the Kutim, which is part of what's so fascinating to me about this particular Gemara, because it kind of calls into question, you know, the... I don't know if it calls into question. It raises the possibility right there are those out there who would not accept the rabbinic interpretation, the rabbinic rules of interpretation even, and yet they have the same conclusion. So the question then comes, you know, which came first? How do they preserve these traditions? How do they draw these powers of inference you know, on the one hand, and yet come to the same conclusion without those powers of in- inference on the other, we end up really in like a a, a really interesting, another theological discussion over, you know, what's going on with these other people, these people who are Kutim, and they've kind of rejected significant portions of rabbinic Judaism or what's going to become rabbinic Judaism, but there they are, you know, still maintaining some of these traditions. Fine, the Gemara goes on to talk about, you know, and this is what I've already just read, when when it says that they're Be'eva right, does that mean that they're that much further, or does it mean that when once you get across the Jordan River, and and the significance of this, of course, goes to, you know, trying to determine what was the reality for these people, and how far afield did they settle, and so on. Um, um, okay, the rest of what's happening on this daf, really, again, it gets into these place names, and then it goes on to ask more about how the, how the people crossed the yarding. And we'll pick that up again tomorrow. So that's our discussion for the day. Thank you for joining us. Rank us, review is where you get your podcast. Come, come talk to us on our Facebook page and tell us what you think of this stuff. Thank you to Remini Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. And until tomorrow, go and learn. Mm-hmm.